0: Welcome and thank you for joining us at Christian International Ministries. Our vision is to help you hear God's voice to change your world. For more information about this and other resources, please visit www.christianinternational.com. I want to, I'll just recap. I'm not at all going to recap the words, but I'm going to tell you the titles of some of the prophetic words that have come for this year, and hopefully you heard them, and the title might trigger a little memory in you about what they were about. So, of course, first and foremost, our own Bishop Bill Hammond has decreed that that God has released his Third World War in the earth, in the spirit, and in the natural. And he, if you hear him teach on it, if you don't have that teaching, you need to get it. It's coming available on our media site, Flow Prophetic. That's where a lot of the videos of prophetic words will come out. And essentially what he's saying is God throughout history has already fought two major world wars. Um, the first was when he sent Jesus to overcome the enemy, to die on the cross, and to take back territory. The second was when Martin Luther nailed the 95 thesis on the, on the doorpost. And we began to take back what the enemy had taken in the dark ages of the church. And now is the third. And so the third could last will last until Jesus returns, um, and so it is a place where, as the believers, we engage on God's, in God's army, in the army of the Lord, to take territory that belongs to the kingdom of God till the scripture says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So I said I wasn't going to recap, but look, I just did. <laughs> then Pastor Jane's word, if you show up, God will show off, self-explanatory, Pastor Tom's word, God is raising your profile. You can picture it if you don't know. Ah, self-explanatory. Prophet Bill's word, supernatural breakthrough as the church stands in unity. Apostle Gail's word, advancing from besiegement to jubilee. And I've missed the other words because I wasn't here. So did I miss yours? I missed yours. What was it? And he made himself known. And he made himself known, I better get the CD. I think I know the girl who can get me that. So (laughs) Um, I think we were in Birmingham when you shared that. I'm sorry. So when I hear these words, pardon me, when I hear these words, the first place my mind goes, I'm going to be honest. I don't ask God for a word for the year because I anticipate there's going to be about 15 ones that are going to be enough for me to keep up with already. And I'm going to believe them all and agree with them all. And whatever God gives me is going to be along the lines of most or one or all of them. So what I really ask God is, how do I partner with what you're already saying? You've got enough mouths saying it. How do I partner with it? And so when I started to hear these words, of course, what I asked the Lord is, what do I need to do? And one of the things the Lord spoke to me was he told me that I needed to get rid of the mentality that I had in the past season because it's not just a new year. It's a, it's a new era. It's a new—if it's, it's, <laughs> it's God's third world war, imagine how dramatically the world changed before and after Martin Luther started the Reformation or before and after Jesus died on the cross. That is how dramatically— everything is changing beginning now. So we have no grid for what's ahead, and we have no, nothing that of our mindset of the past, if it's not 100% of the Bible and kingdom, it won't sustain us. It won't last. It won't work. And so the Lord began to show me some mindsets that develop, that culture develops, that experiences develop, that we have to get rid of if we're going to engage properly in the new thing that God is doing. And so... One of those comes, uh, makes sense the most to me from the advancing from besiegement to Jubilee. That word Apostle Gail shared, he talked about we were in a place, even over the last seven years, of b- feeling besieged. Interestingly enough, that correlates with Bishop's word that the last seven years that God has been testing the church, basically. You know the enemy can't do anything right unless God is allowing. So if the enemy is besieging us, Somebody let that happen. (laughs) Um, And so for the last seven years, God has been looking for who is going to enter into this era of being warriors in the army of of the Lord in a greater way. And so he's been trying, God's been trying and God's been strengthening and teaching and training and equipping all of us so that we'll rise up. And so if we were in besiegement and now we're going into Jubilee, then I believe that we might have... Uh, some effects of besiegement that we can't take with us into Jubilee. And perhaps that we, it might be up to us whether we get rid of those effects and enter into the Jubilee or not. And so that's what I want to talk to you tonight. So I'm going to call it breaking off the siege mentality. So this siege mentality is a military term that actually is a condition that exists that comes from wartime. Um, did anybody see the movie Thirteen Hours? A few, a few people. It was so sad, but also very. It's a great movie. Um, if you didn't see it, you should see it. Actually, the book was written by a Christian who was one of the six um, security officers that were uh, contracted by the CIA. To protect our CIA base in the Benghazi attack, and these six men saved hundreds of lives because of their bravery. Um, two of them didn't. Oh, it's not. It's kind of a spoiler alert, but it's true. So I guess you could look it up. Two of them did not survive, and so they literally gave their life. Uh, but all six of them truly gave their life from the beginning because they were willing to die for their for the cause to protect the American territory there in Benghazi when it was sieged. Well, I mentioned that movie because. We don't know in American, Western, current culture what besiegement really would be like. We don't really know what that's like. Um, we're not a generation that has seen uh, war on our soil. And we're, there's not a lot of a generation that has seen, there is some with the uh, war in the Middle East, but we are not inundated where the entire, our entire society is, that of warriors. If you look at World War One and World War II, all of America understood war at that time, and some people today, still rem- that still remains, but not for all of us. So for myself, uh, my grandfather was a Vietnam veteran, but the rest of us just thought he's cute grandpa, <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's a meme that goes around social media. It's um, It's a millennial viewpoint sort of a meme, so it's kind of making... F- Light of Millennial Viewpoints, and it says something like, uh, you know, you just want to take a cute picture of grandpa or teach him how to take a selfie, and you think he's so cute, and you don't know he has 63 confirmed kills. And, you know, and so that's true. Uh, But so we may not understand what it really means to have been under besiegement. If you watch that movie, you'll get an idea what it means to be under besiegement. But so let me just read to you. Actually, Pastor Jane spoke a couple of, um, well, early last year, a great message on besiegement. I'm not going to cover it all. You can get her message, but this is just what it means to be besieged. It's the process of surrounding and attacking a fortified place in such a way to isolate them from help and supplies for the purpose of overtaking, controlling, or lessening their abilities. It is any prolonged and persistent effort to overcome... It is a, in a prolonged period of trouble or annoyance. It means to crowd around oppressively, to harass, to f- force a surrender. Synonyms, synonyms include things like swarming. So that's a good picture. Have you ever, have you ever seen a swarm? Did you see the movie My Girl? Does, does that? No, 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 no. My girls, Macaulay. No, well, who was it? Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin. Guys. Well, anyway, swarming. Well, just watch one of those Tack of the Killer Bee* movies. Then you'll understand a little idea of besiegement. To annoy, press, or nag until force the force of a surrender. To overwhelm, inundate, deluge. And uh, interestingly enough, now I'll just, I'll comment on it in a minute, but it could also mean to overwhelm with complaints, requests, or needs, which I thought was an interesting definition considering it's really a military issue. So to be under siege basically means that attack never stops. And it doesn't mean that any one attack made or break you. In many cases, it could be a little thing, but it's one little thing after another, little thing after another little thing, until... um, what we call modern times, sieging was the way that victories were won. Uh, when Alexander the Great conquered the world, he he did it by besieging every territory, meaning he surrounded them, and sometimes for seven months, or sometimes for years, would attack after attack and chip away until they were able to overtake. It's so much more overwhelming because what it becomes is it's a psychological battle as much as it is a battle of weapons and military tactics and, and natural physical warfare. So it's a psychological battle. So when Apostle Gale says the church is going from besiegement to Jubilee, one of the things he means is the church is leaving the psychological warfare of the constant onslaught of the enemy one after another, after another, after another If it's not one thing, it's another Every little thing, one after the other And Have you ever said, if anything could happen, it happened? Well, that's besiegement That's what that means um, Here are some things that happen in situations of besiegement In fact, today oh, I'm getting ahead of myself But today, besieging sie- Besiege is when it happens to you Sieging is when you're doing it Is one of many possible military tactics, and it's used intentionally only at certain times because it's not as necessary anymore. But in World War II, I think maybe World War One. I'm not gonna. Never mind. In one of the World Wars, uh, <laughs> history is Germaine's strong point, <laughs> not mine. Uh, in one of the World Wars, um, there's actually such record of uh, besiegement being the mode of operation, and the record comes down that in many cases the good guys lost the battle not because of their artillery but because they starved to death during the time of besiegement, because they turned on each other because their tensions and frustrations and difficulties were so high, or because they just they broke and they surrendered because they mentally no longer had the capacity to do anything and they broke. And so the good guys even if they had the ability otherwise to fight, the psychological warfare wore them down from the constant attack of being besieged. Uh, So none of us are in a battle, but how many of you have felt besieged in some situation? Have you felt like something just keeps happening and it keeps happening? As soon as you fix a leak here, a leak pops up there. As soon as you... I'm saying leak because... Anyway, sorry, sorry. <laughs> as soon as you uh, pay for one thing, that in your household or your family or your issue, another expense, unexpected. Uh, when it happens in relationships, as soon as you put out one misunderstanding, somehow there's another misunderstanding. Had that even happen? I made you your favorite dinner. This is not a real example. I made you your favorite dinner, but you weren't hungry. Now we're going to have a fight. You know, as soon as one thing ends, then there's another. And come on, guys, the enemy knows that our weapons are greater than his weapons. He's no fool. He knows that we have all authority in heaven and earth over him. The point of besiegement is to cause the person to just give up because they're sick of it. That's the point. That's why you would use this military tactic. And so if the enemy has been besieging us, he knew he couldn't bring full force against us because we would rise up in war and we would deal with it. But if he could bring little after little after little after little and begin to chip away at our morale, at our camaraderie with one another, and our unity, at our self-esteem, at our joy, or whatever it else may be, that eventually it's possible we would become isolated and begin to lose some of our supply and begin to feel overwhelmed and starve or break or give up or not make it. And so there's something produced. I'm not trying to preach a message on besiegement. I'm going to get to the good in a minute. But there's something produced that is actually um, called the siege mentality, and uh, this mentality usually is used to describe whole people groups such as nations. So, for example, right now, um, Syria is said to be in a siege mentality. Uh, North Korea is in a siege mentality. Um, uh, I can't think of other places, but the If you watch the movie 13 Hours, that little CIA base was certainly in a siege mentality. Um, And what happens is it's kind of like post-traumatic stress disorder. What happens is, I'll tell you, for example, from the movie. We were watching the movie, 13 Hours. The movie's like three hours, and you're kind of like, oh, man, I can't take any more. How did they do this for 13 hours? So for for those of you that saw, there's points where... um, They clearly can see a bad guy when a bad guy has a gun. But when someone doesn't have a gun, but every person that's come has tricked you or been a spy, every person that's come has set something up, every person that's come has somehow, one thing after another, in a little way, begun to chip away at your safety. Then, for example, a little child might walk up and that little child is a spy, but you're like, is it it a child or is it a spy? I don't know. Or someone might just be out herding sheep, and you're like, is it a bad guy or is it a good guy? I don't know. Because I've been in this situation for so long, and everything that I've seen has ultimately been against me, that now everything I see, I think could be against me. Because it's a true possibility that it could be against you, you can't help but feel, is this against me or not? And I told Jermaine, it's, there's a reason I'm not a soldier because I would just be like, you shouldn't have come close. You knew there was a war. You shouldn't have come. I'm going to shoot you if you come, period. Bad guys are coming. and If you come, I'm assuming you're a bad guy. So I know that I'm, if you're in the military, you understand discipline and all those sort of things. No, not me. There's a reason I'm not in the military because it's your fault that you got close when I'm sitting here trying to defend myself. <laughs> but uh, so my thing is everybody would be dead. I'm sorry <laughs> because I can't handle it. I can't. It's, it's, the, it's the stress of it. I just, you know, I was like, Jermaine, this movie's only an hour and a half in. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and they did it for 13 hours, so. <clears throat> but actually, that would be considered a, a fairly short siege, considering many of them lasted months and, and longer. But so what can begin to happen is we can have a siege mentality. I'm going sh- to read to you some of the definition of a siege mentality. It's a shared feeling of victimization and defensiveness, it comes from an actual experience where you've had to defend against real situations, but is now a collective state of mind where a group of people believes they are in a constant state of attack, of oppression, or of isolation in the face of negative intentions of the majority around, other than their group." Although it's a group phenomenon, uh, it happens individually. It just happens that everyone gets that phenomenon individually, and therefore it becomes a group phenomenon. Among the consequences are uh, extreme thinking, lack of trust, expectancy for the worst, and a bonding, but in a bonding in the trauma sort of a way, a s- strong cohesion, but in our, in our issue, and a bonding in the issue. Uh, It creates a mentality that I am alone in a hostile world. It shows up in cultural elements that are carried on uh, with just our daily interactions, the way we interact with people. It uh, It creates a situation where a group who has a siege mentality can be controlled by anyone that reinforces their victimization. And actually, there's a lot of psychology about what the, the dictator in North Korea is doing Intentionally keeping this siege mentality alive so that the people, even if they don't agree with him, will let him be their leader because the whole world is against us. And I don't know if you've ever gotten in a little argument with one family member and found another family member that was on your side, right? So if you find a fa- someone on your side, you can stir it up a lot more and stir up a camaraderie with that person because you, you have a mutual enemy in the moment. Of course, it's your family. It's not really your enemy. Uh, maybe y'all are so grown up. Maybe I'm thinking too close to sibling issues and remembering like, no, but, uh, but, but in an environment, in a social environment where you find camaraderie over, yeah, that person, something bad happened to me. That's against me too. It's against you too. Oh, well, we've got to stick together. And so what they, what they actually believe is that, is it Kim, Kim Jong-un's son or is it? Whatever whoever he is um, he knows uh, is intentionally keeping the idea that the whole world is against North Korea so that the North Koreans will still band together under his leadership because it reinforce they have someone reinforcing that they've been victimized. But the interesting thing to me is um, that it is essentially you could call this another thing you could call it a victim mentality. And so a, sie- a siege mindset is basically a victim mentality victims are mistreated. It's unfair. It, the odds are against them. There's nothing they can do about it. It's not their fault. There's a, there's a general out there bad guy. Um, and remember, it came from something real, but now it can carry on even when the attack is over. And so that's what um, becomes, this is what the Lord was speaking to me about that has become perhaps a possible um, mindset in the church where not that we get together and say the world is against us. I don't think any of us do that. But that where individually we've all felt such an onslaught of something against us that even when we get together, this is what they say, it's very subtle in the, in the language that we use. It's very subtle in the things we encourage each other with. It's, and so you can recognize a siege mentality in a people group. They won't say, I have a siege mentality. I'm a victim, and the world is against me. But very subtly, you'll begin to recognize how they will choose, what they choose to comfort, what they choose to share, how they interact with each other, how they build their bonds, and that it can be found a common thread is over an idea of defending and protecting ourselves against an outside onslaught. So, this is why I think this is so evil. This siege mentality um, is that. Siege warfare. I mentioned this earlier. Siege warfare is only used sometimes, and it is it chosen intentionally when it works. When it's when it when it, when the person the opposition believes this will be the best way to conquer this territory is to create siege warfare, where you surround and then you just continually bombard until they give up or or until you overpower. Um, and it's chosen as when you believe that you can isolate the target from its support. So it would not be chosen if you could not isolate them from the support. So throughout, if you read battle tactics throughout battles in history, when they could isolate you away from either a mainland or away from backup artillery or the rest of the army or whatever it could be, that's when this would be a good uh, tactic. And so what I believe the enemy wants to do is, is find a way to isolate us. And if he's besieging us, I think it's because he believes he could isolate us from our supply which what is our supply of course god each other the church our relationships the systems that he's put in our life and secondly the only thing that the only thing about a, bes- a siege a siege warfare tactic is that it relies on the other person being stagnant in one place and you're coming to overtake them rather than a mutual warfare or rather than the other person having, to, having come against you. And see, the thing is, the scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. That picture is that we are sieging the gates of hell. It is not a picture that we are hunkered down and defending and and he's trying to siege us. So what makes me furious, if we've been besieged, if we've been besieged for seven years, it means, sadly, and I don't mean this of a condemnation against any of the body of Christ, Um, but especially myself because it means this about myself, but it means somehow I have to have been hunkered down and being attacked rather than on the offense in the first place because if this is a military tactic, he's only using it when it's going to work or thinks it's going to work. And so therefore he thinks, Rebecca, if I'm going to besiege her, this is a time where she's probably going to isolate. Eventually, she'll find people that will agree with her victimization. Eventually, rather than getting up and fighting, she'll say, yeah, this is hard, and it's hard for you too, isn't it? Yeah, we should go to that, go to another church where they don't war. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> or whatever. Somehow, we got to get out of this situation. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but maybe not that funny. Um, So, why it makes me angry is it suggests, and I believe it, because if I look back over the last seven years of the words, when Pastor Jane got up and said she saw those boxers in the ring, and one's jacket said, It's just life. Or something like that. And the other said, this is just the way it is. I believe that that somehow, either the enemy's tricked us or whatever has happened, somehow we have possibly entered into an arrangement that we're hunkered down and defending ourselves against the onslaught of the enemy rather than that we're out overcoming and the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And so if we're entering into jubilee, in jubilee they get back everything they lost. It's a sovereign thing of God. It's because Jesus is our Jubilee. It's supernatural, and we can have it, but I don't think we'll have it if we're hunkered in and we're like, oh, is anyone shooting? Is there, is there are you okay? Is that a bad guy? You know? <laughs> Is that a demon? Uh, So if we're hunkered down and we're in defensive posture, then I personally believe that we're not in the posture of victory that God has for us. See, uh, Bishop Hammond's word is God's World War III. And I loved, 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 loved seeing him in Birmingham because I don't get to see him on the road very much. I don't know if you all do. But on the road, he ain't playing no games. Not that he is here, but on the road, he showed up. Put his Bible down. He said, I'm not here to preach you a message. I'm here to destroy and obliterate the demons of such and such and such and such such that have controlled your territory so that you will advance against the works of darkness. That is not a besiegement place. That is warfare. That is I declare war against the enemy, and we're going forward, and we're going to fight, and we're going to win. And so the solution, I believe, is this. I'll tell you the solution. Thanks for letting me get all like, worked up and frustrated telling you how I feel about this. <laughs> um, the solution is this. First of all, I think we have to adjust our biblical view or, or at least refresh and update our biblical view. And this is simple by the reading of the word. The scripture says, see, the problem with a siege mentality, trauma, this is where it comes from is trauma. Trauma imprints something new on your brain from then forward. Have you ever been in maybe a car accident or some sort of situation that causes sudden trauma that you then have to be in that situation again? There's no trauma, but you can never forget it, right? Um, I know I heard Pastor Tom say he'd gotten at, in a wreck at an intersection. He'd gotten T-boned at an intersection out here, and that for years he'd drive through an intersection and just cringe a little every time he drove through the intersection. And that is true of trauma. Trauma sort of rewires our brain. And so with this mentality, the trauma of having had onslaught after onslaught rewires the brain, literally the natural brain, to see the world differently. And so the scripture says that Our minds renewed by the washing of the water of the word, I truly and genuinely believe means our brain can be healed of trauma. It can be rewired where we're going to see victory instead of violence against us, where we're going to see overcoming and strength and ability instead of victimization. And that the same exact situation could be going on, but our experience is different because of how that reprogramming has happened. Another way that our, our biblical viewpoint would begin to change is that God is good. And you know, when you're in onslaught after onslaught after onslaught, you might forget that God is good. You might never say he's bad, but you just might forget. God is a good God. He loves his children. He gives good gifts. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. You are good, and what you do is good. All of the scripture, tell, there's no scripture that suggests to us that God is not good. There are hundreds upon hundreds that remind us he is good, but I think we have to be reminded because we see natural difficult situations that's that slowly rewire our mind to no longer see the good and to see that God is good. And that we can have joy. And joy is a supernatural thing in any situation. Joy is a choice that we can choose into because it comes from the Spirit of God. And so we can activate it, engage it, choose into it. And then practical things we can do, um, this is practical, I'll explain why, is we can go on the offensive. If you're not a victim, well, here's the thing. The war is not over. We're going into Jubilee, but the war just began. That's what Bishop told us. And this war ends when Jesus rides on a white horse back to establish his, his literal kingdom in a new way. So until we're resurrected or changed in the blink of an eye or whatever's going to happen, this war has begun and will not end. So how, if we're coming out of besiegement, it's not because war is over and we're all going to take a nap for the next however long and just enjoy. It's because we're going to switch our position in the battle from being the recipient of the onslaught, from being the defensive to being the offensive. And so some very practical ways we do that is Pastor Greg leads prayer at 9 a.m. every Sunday morning. Every single Sunday that you get the chance, join in that warfare because that warfare is literally moving uh, moving mountains and tearing down strongholds and setting the course for your weekend for things we don't even begin to understand into Future and eternity. Every morning, Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 9.30. I know I'm telling you all stuff you know, but but it's just it's practical, but it really works. It really works. So that's where we've got to do it. Every Monday through Friday, 8.30, 9.30, we're in, well, now we're in the Elisha room. We were out here. We were getting such good steps. I wear a Fitbit, so, you know, we're like getting such good steps. But the good news is there's space in the Elisha room, and we're still getting steps. All my Fitbitters, we're still getting steps in the Elisha room, and it's kind of neat in there because you can hear you know, the momentum and the volume of everyone praying. You feel very much of a camaraderie together. Um, And that's a place we can go to war. In your own household, you can go to war. War doesn't have to be all day that you're always sitting there shouting in tongues at the top of your lungs, but take time and make sure that you're warring against the enemy. Bishop has said this. He's writing it in his book, and he's saying it every time he talks. He said the greatest corporate weapon we have is a shout. And so when we're together or when you've got your prayer partner or someone to pray, with, just pray and then shout and release a shout against the plans of the enemy. Um, And then another strategy is to connect with people differently. If we were besieged, we were possibly connecting in our difficulties. Possibly. Maybe y'all weren't, but I was. So woe is me. Some things are hard. You know, y'all, it's just been since 07, it's just been this after that of the financial thing, or since this time, it's just been this or that. Um, and so we can easily connect on our challenges, but what we can choose to do is connect differently, and we can choose to connect because they're saying this mentality, this is, um, I don't know what, who these pe- what you call these people, but it's not like a people studying the Bible to say this, they're studying culture and people groups, but they're saying the mentality is kept alive and demonstrated and perpetuated by the kinds of conversations that are had in the groups of the people that have this mentality. And so you can notice that if you notice any group of people that are victimized, let's say, for example, because I'm a woman, I'll choose that one. Women haven't always had fair treatment. I know nothing about that, just so you know, nothing at all about that. I'm 31, 31 good job, because for at least 31 years, I've never experienced unfair treatment that I know of for being a female. But at some point, my mom did. At some point, Pastor Jane did. At some point, those who went before her did. And what you might find, if you've ever observed, is you might find people who did experience mistreatment, you might hear it. You might hear it when they talk. You might hear it in their viewpoints, in their worldview. And so what that, it's easy to hear when you don't have it. You start to notice it like, oh no, that's never crossed my mind. And now I can easily say, Thank you, Jesus. I have no idea. I don't want to find out either. But, <laughs> but I have no idea what that's like. I, I genuinely don't know what they're talking about. Thank God. Jermaine and I, I don't know if anyone noticed, but we, are not, we don't have the same color skin. Um, and... <laughs> and, <laughs> and genuinely we've never experienced that we know of if so very rarely and very minimally we've never experienced prejudice against us because of that or even truthfully we didn't grow up in prejudice environments either way I grew up in very multicultural environments and nobody was prejudiced against me he grew up in very multicultural environments the same thing so actually people this is funny but people when we travel genuinely and sincerely and with kindness and I don't mean this like but it just didn't re- we didn't connect to it they genuinely tell us that they're proud of us for what we overcame to be a couple is this okay that I tell you all this <laughs> so they genuinely tell us that and the truth is from what they grew up in they they themselves would have had to overcome something if they were going to have married someone with a different skin tone than them but he and I he didn't have to overcome anything. He's a boy, kind of cute. I'm a girl, kind of cute. Little flirting happened. We had to set some boundaries. We had to overcome patience and time. And then we got married. So we didn't have to overcome anything else. <laughs> and so congratulations. That was a non-issue, at least here. We got to be here in this church. And y'all, all, most of y'all got to see that unfold. Um, but these are examples you can look at where in the natural, in this nation, trauma has happened and has created true abuse and mistreatment of people and then has created a lasting trauma in the mindsets that that still remains that fortunately we're young enough and and some of y'all paved the way we're young enough we don't understand those it's similar to warfare mindsets I have no clue what my grandfather went through um, other than what little bit I can read about but we don't understand what that life is like because we haven't had to deal with that trouble in that difficulty. So what I'm saying, I told you those stories to connect a little more. But <laughs> what I'm saying is we have to get, just let the mindset go. You could see it easily. You wouldn't know if I had a mindset about being a woman in ministry, right? So we might not see it easily because we, we might have it, or we might not, but we might have a camaraderie that's developed over our hardships in a subtle sort of a way. But if we choose not to let our words connect us in that way, we'll dismantle this mentality practically. We'll not allow it to continue. So if we choose not to let our words connect us in the hardships that we've faced, it's one thing, ask for prayer, you know, things like that. But you know that asking for prayer can turn into... Uh, who who can top a harder story, who has a worse sickness, who has a worse family situation. Oh, you don't even know nothing. Let me tell you about my family situation, right? So if we can choose to connect on the goodness of God, on believing for breakthrough for each other, but really minimizing how we connect on difficulties and tragedy and onslaught and things like that, that that psychologists and whoever studies these war mentalities say that would break down the siege mentality in a culture. That alone, but I think we can break it down in the spirit as well. Um, And one more thing, and that is to reach out in kindness. Um, So an area that's the siege mentality, I believe, can operate and show up. I think it happens from the spiritual warfare we've been in, but it can show up. In any group of people that has to spend a long time together. <laughs> and so it can show up in coworker environments, it can show up in families, it can show up in uh, teams, maybe prophetic teams or worship teams or uh, children's ministry teams or any of the other teams that take place. It can show up anywhere that you're stuck with other people and you have to live life and make it work. So I live 40 hours a week or so in the building across the street. Jermaine and I both, we work across the street. And you know what could happen if I have a siege mentality? Is I could start to read an email and read it such that, oh, they said that about me. Or they they said something about me. Or they're just against me. Or they don't understand what I'm doing. Or I could hear someone, because I'll point this out now, it's surprising to me that a siege mentality can come from a bombardment of requests and complaints, I didn't understand that, but I guess if you work, if you ever worked a complaint hotline, people don't last very long on those. This might be why. <laughs> it's similar to a war zone, apparently. <laughs> but a bombardment of complaints or requests can create this same siege mentality, literally, post-traumatic distress disorder, if you worked in this environment. Um, but what can happen at work, in a family, in any in a, in a environment that you're interacting with people, what can happen? requests and complaints they they're part of life right now not every complaint looks like a complaint but not, what do i mean not everything that looks like a complaint is a complaint but if you have a siege mentality it doesn't matter you're seeing complaint after complaint you're seeing request as a complaint you're seeing did you make that deadline someone says to me did i make that deadline i hear you never make deadlines what is wrong with you what are you doing sitting back there playing tetris right if I hear that, I have a siege mentality. And so that is victimization. That is um, coming into agreement with the accuser, the enemy against me, instead of being freed from that mentality and then, and then, in turn, reaching out in kindness. Because if siege isolates and separates, it isolates and separates us from each other. Um, and you would be amazed how dry you can start to feel even if no one's being mean to you, if you're just doing task after task and dealing with problem after problem, and you don't just have someone come and say, "Oh, you're doing a good job," <laughs> and, or you don't have someone just come and comfort or come be kind, come give you a hug and reach out to you, that can go a very long way, like refreshing water on someone who feels dry, who feels who has request after request or possibly even complaint after complaint, and is becoming traumatized from the onslaught of besiegement when what they need is comfort and and refreshing and the like. So I hope that that um, ministers to you and gives you some tools because that is exactly where the Lord is challenging me right now. And I'm literally listing these things to you as they're like listed in my journal of what God told me to do so that I'm not sitting somewhere going, yeah, well, there, the whole world is against me too, you know, it's hard being a millennial, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) So, sorry, (laughs) I don't really do that, but (laughs) maybe a little. Um, And so this is exactly where I am. So I'm telling you as I got the memo from God myself like two days ago, um, as I looked around and noticed how easily I read and, and perceived something as being harsh against me or harsh against my people or harsh against the church or harsh against whatever it may be rather than having... um, vulnerability, ability to reach out to others, confidence, onslaught against the enemy because I am the overcomer. I am the one with all authority. But then to people, just the ability to touch and connect and love and and celebrate them and not hunker down. That's the other challenge with besiege mentality. People, they won't trust anyone. So often people who return from a battlefield with this mentality don't trust anyone but their comrades that they were in, in warfare with because they've created that mentality. And so what might happen to us, we might stop trusting people, and we might start seeing um, something less than the very best that God has for us in that relationship with them. So I want us to pray, and I believe that if, if there's any trace at all of a siege mentality in, our, in us, in our church, in our territory, um, we're the home church of CI, in CI, I believe we can break it tonight. Um, and I believe not that I can do it, but that all of us, if we will do it, we can. And so I just want to have us stand, um, and we're just going to um, lift a shout, and we're just going to shout for a few seconds, because Bishop taught us that the shout is a weapon of warfare that brings down demonic strongholds, and so if, this is, if, if it's there, we can break it down with a shout, and have minds freed to connect and relate appropriately with one another. Do you think so? Maybe? All right, on the count of three, we're all going to shout. One, two three hallelujah give her a hand, Rebecca a hand for, amen.